0: So are there any other picky eaters out there? Any other picky eaters? When I was younger, I would demand peanut butter and jelly in my lunch every day. It had to be peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and fluff if I'd been really good. Fluff is that terrible marshmallow stuff that never, ever should have been in a sandwich, but it was really good. We and I, we appreciate the opportunity to choose, to make those demands, to choose what we want to have. My favorite restaurant growing up, even though I was a vegetarian, was the Great American Steakhouse. The Great American Steakhouse. Has anyone ever been to one of those? Yeah. We the, the reason I love that restaurant is because they had a buffet. I didn't need to get the steak. I could just go in and go directly to the salad bar and choose what I wanted to eat. And I would choose this very small salad, a tiny little salad. I'd take it back to, to the table, and I would eat my tiny salad, and then I'd say, I'm done, and I'd run up, and I'd get dessert. <laughs> and I'd go to the end of that, that beautiful salad bar, and I would see these giant bins of fluffy puddingy stuff. And I would put the chocolate and the vanilla and this weird pink stuff on my plate, and it would be this gigantic plate of this fluffy puddingy stuff, which I think was entirely Cool Whip mixed with Jell O packs or who knows what. This was my cafeteria style of choosing my own meal. We can also practice what's called cafeteria religion. Picking and choosing the pieces that we want from the traditions that we meet. Choosing those things that will satisfy us in the moment. Choosing the small salad and the giant vat of puddingy stuff. Sometimes in our cafeteria religion, we have to be careful what we choose. Something that will sustain us over time not just the stuff that will satisfy our cravings in the moment. Sometimes it's harder to choose those things that will sustain us over time. There's a principle in Unitarian Universalism, the first of the seven principles that were democratically chosen. I know you've all memorized them, right? Right? That first principle, what is it about? The inherent worth and dignity of every person, of every person, that must not be skipped over, that must not be left on the salad bar. It connects us to all of the other faith traditions the world around. We covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, It's easy, right? No problem, right? I never struggle with that one, right? No. (laughs) We all have inherent worth and dignity. What's another way of saying this? What have you heard from other faith traditions? How else is this said? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do unto others. We're all children of God. We're all all strangers in the land of Egypt, right? So, uh, love thy neighbor. do unto others. No problem, right? We got this one down. In my neighborhood, I can love the neighbor to my left. That neighbor's a lot of fun. She's a great person. I really enjoy that neighbor. I'll go over there and talk with her all the time. And I can love the neighbor that's catty corner right over there because she has this amazing garden. And in the summer, we swap tomatoes. And I can love the neighbor across the street because they have a family with young kids and they teach their kids to be nice to the neighbors. And so these young kids will come talk to my husband, Reverend Scott, and I. And that's a lot of fun. And I can even love that neighbor He's very odd. But I can love him because he plays extremely loud 80s music. <laughs> and it just gives me a laugh whenever I hear it. So I can love that neighbor. But that neighbor, that neighbor right there to that side of my house, I really struggle with that neighbor. When I moved into the neighborhood, she basically pulled me aside and said, I'm really glad you're here because you're white. That's what she said the first time we talked, and then you know what else I struggle with with this neighbor. This neighbor called the fire department on me because my beans were too high <laughs> in my garden. <laughs> I really struggle with this neighbor. I struggle to see, to feel her inherent worth and dignity, and to respect her as a person. There's a saying attributed to any number of wise crackers. Robert Fulghum is one. Love your neighbor, but be sure to choose a good neighborhood. Yeah. This is funny. It's also cafeteria mentality. The idea that we can actually choose a good neighborhood. It's also in some ways um, common sense. There's a worldwide web we live in just as much as any town, and that web, that web includes Aleppo, it includes the Chicago streets, it includes Putin's Russia. Many have come to me in times of crisis and asked, did Hitler have inherent worth and dignity? How about the man who killed my friend? What about the drunk driver, the distracted driver, even, in our county? who hit a five-year-old or a five-month-old? What about the outright racist, who can't even look me in the eye? What about the racist who left a terrible note for a black waitress, Kelly Carter, our neighbor in this county? The Westboro Baptist protesters, inflicting their hate on military funerals, love my neighbor? We don't choose our neighborhood. We can't choose our neighborhood. Our neighborhood is wide and deep, and at times it is terrifying. Right? Right? Love my neighbor. The books of world religions are replete with exceptions. Exceptions to this rule. They all contain that gem of conscience. Do no harm, love your enemy, love the stranger. We were all strangers in the land of Egypt, but the writers of those texts, they lived in neighborhoods just like us. And sometimes their hate, their disdain for kindred or foe, their lack of integrity shines through their words. Do you know why, as the story goes Jesus used the good Samaritan in his tale of the moral agent. The good Samaritan who helped the injured, the rejected, the reviled man on the side of the road, who helps when no one else would. Do you know why he used Samaritan? The Samaritans were considered the bad neighbors. Depending on your perspective, substitute Russians for Samaritans, Syrians for Samaritans, Republicans, Democrats, the story about the Good Samaritan is a call to abolish those exceptions. We all have inherent worth and dignity, it says. If you read the text of the great religions closely, you'll find a deep similarity to any institution's bylaws. <laughs> right? Right? No, (laughs) that sounds strange at first, right? But there's a huge similarity between religious texts and bylaws. Bylaws speak of our history just as much as our religious texts do. They speak of our history of building institutions. Have you studied bylaws ever for those strange little tidbits that speak the truths about the institution's history? Bylaw 1.5a. Absolutely no live chickens allowed in the fellowship hall. (laughs) It's not in my bylaws, but I'm sure it's in somebody's somewhere. This one is in our congregation's bylaws, not written exactly this way. Disagreements shall not be aired on church email. You read these things, and you learn a bit about the organization's history. What happened to require that chicken law? (laughs) I really wish I was there. (laughs) Stuff like this gets written into our religious texts. Why is that line in there in Leviticus about how many oxen can pass through a crossroads at one time? I would bet anything that more than four caused a whole hullabaloo. That's why the Jewish scholar Hillel likes to capture the essence of the faith tradition without all those oxen and chicken. As the story goes, he was approached by someone who was looking for a teacher, a sage that could lead him in his studies of Jewish law and the texts. And so he goes to Hillel and he says, Hillel, if you can stand on one foot while you tell me the whole of the Torah, then you will be my teacher. I know you will be the one. And so Hillel stands on one foot without the help of a pulpit to balance him. And he says, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's the whole of the Torah. Now go and study it. The rest, that's all just an explanation of that. I love this story and the ideal that it promotes that perhaps one day we can stand on one foot and recite our first principle that we covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of all people and it will be enough. And nothing else will be necessary. Save study. But the cafeteria is still open and it is still serving some unsustainable stuff in our tradition and in others. Exceptions to this rule abound. 1 Samuel This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women and children, and it goes on. An exception, right? (laughs) An exception to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as long as she's not an Amalekite. Or did I say an Alepian? or a drug user in the Philippines, if your name is President Dutuerte. Here's another from the buffet. Now here's some sticky, sweet justification. Ephesians 6.5 Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And we we in this country used that one plenty. Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederate States during the American Civil War, said that slavery was established by decree by Almighty God. It is sanctioned in the Bible in both Testaments from Genesis to Revelation. And the subjugation continues today. The use of this the Ashburn Colored School was defamed. I'm sure many of you were there to clean it afterwards. This school, built in the 19th century to educate African Americans, was defamed by white supremacist nonsense. And from the Quran. So let those fight in the cause of Allah who sell the life of this world for the hereafter, and he who fights in the cause of Allah and is killed achieves victory. The Center for the Study of Terrorism and Political Violence found that this verse is the most cited in any English-language Islamist terrorist propaganda. The propaganda materials don't include this one, though also from the Quran, serve God and do good to parents, kinsfolk, orphans, those in need, neighbors who are near, neighbors who are strangers. That's in there as well. Cafeteria religion, it can make gluttons out of any of us. We can pick and choose whatever justifies our craving, what allows our indiscretion, what allows us to love, or to hate. If any of this is making you uncomfortable, it makes me uncomfortable, perhaps you can take shelter in this next passage from 1 Corinthians. As in all the churches of the Holy One, women should keep silent. (laughs) For they are not allowed to speak. If they want to learn anything, they should ask their husbands at home. All right, see you later. (laughs) And finally, many who have fallen out of love with these great Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, for these very hypocrisies, many turn to the Eastern faiths of Hinduism and Buddhism to name a few in the hopes of finding purity. And there is sustenance there and beauty but there's also some pretty dangerous choices in the cafeteria line. Child brides are justified by this Hindu text from the yogi Vaisitha. For fear of commencement of puberty, let the father give his daughter in marriage while she is still going about naked. What do we do with all of this? What do we do with it? run kicking and screaming from the cafeteria, from the great religious traditions, loathe them all for their hypocrisy? The truth is we are all inconsistent and fallible. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. We want to love our neighbor, but we struggle with that one neighbor that tests our patience or that other neighbor that hates us for being our true, unique self or that other neighbor that has done us unreconcilable harm. We want to affirm everyone's inherent worth and dignity, but fill in the exception. I think Mae West said it best. Love thy neighbor, and if he happens to be tall, debonair, and devastating, it will be that much easier. (laughs) There is something in us that wants that golden rule, that wants to be honorable and just and just plain good, but we are human, inconsistent, jealous, and at times downright vengeful. Right? Right? These scriptures, they tell this truth, perhaps better than any other recorded wisdom. They tell this truth about our inconsistencies, better even than our bylaws. Because they are us. They're us turned inside out. Their stories and parables, their laws and their histories, they illustrate the human conscience at war with itself. Aiming for some godlike goodness and falling short anon and anon. This faith tradition, this Unitarian Universalism, it asserts wholeheartedly that every document that we praise, prize, and use to guide our days is a human document and therefore subject to human faults. To read the Bible, the Constitution, the Yoga Sutras with this Unitarian Universalist lens is to reflect not on the immutability of the words, but on the persistence of human fallibility that laces and binds every word and every passage. And to reflect on that glorious aspect of what it is to be human, to always be called to greater goodness. Darwin says it this way, even the humblest mammals' strong paternal and social instincts give rise to do unto others as yourself and love thy neighbor as thyself. But these are not the only st- instincts that they, all the mammals, or we embody. We're also Mae Wests, drawn to love some of our neighbors more definitively than others. We too go for that fluffy puddingy stuff. At the end, of the cafeteria line, choosing to justify our anger, our jealousy, our less-than-honorable actions with stories of how others did the same in the past. They did it first. Whether these stories are written in sacred texts or global histories or inscribed on our souls, he did it to us, so we will do it back to him. And suddenly, an eye for an eye, replaces inherent worth and dignity. But that's why we return and must return daily to that first principle, to affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Not because we've got it, right? But because we don't. We don't have it. Not yet, maybe not ever. But we can practice We can practice because we must. Because if our country, our world needs us now, it needs us to do this internally and out there in the world. May you be that light to the world. Amen.